Does the Lord use leaders to carry out His plans? Absolutely. Today on the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast today. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and uh, I'm back in the studio. Sorry about the audio quality last week from me being in the car, but I really wanted to put that out last week. Today I wanted to talk um, about King Rehoboam, and this is part three of a three-part series that was uh, really stirring on my heart, uh, just about how politics really work and, and what is the Lord's involvement uh, you know, I've already given away the punchline in the last two uh, podcasts, and I've got a, an article coming out that uh, I kind of try and lay some of this stuff out. Um, so you're already familiar if you're listening to this. You you know how I'm thinking about this is is that when we look at American politics, there's there's something else going on. There's um, an invisible hand here, and it's it's not quite so invisible because it's actually the Lord. The Lord is the one moving and manipulating things. Um, and and if you manipulating may may sound like the wrong word, but it's really the Lord calling the shots when it comes to American politics. The Apostle Paul in Romans thirteen tells us that every leader, every single leader in the history of humanity, has been ordained and placed in that role of leadership by God. So it doesn't matter what kind of of uh, system of government that uh, people have lived under, it has always been the Lord who has been the one to appoint and ordain those leaders to be in their places. And that goes for our system of government where we vote for people and, and we appoint them to their place of leadership. It's actually the Lord using us to carry out what he has already determined is going to happen, the people that he is going to put in place. So, I'm not an advocate of of not voting. I think we should vote because when we vote, we actually get an opportunity to work with the Lord. It's actually an invitation in our system of government to participate in what the Lord's doing. Uh, That being said, it can also be an opportunity to participate against what the Lord is doing Um, or or to at least voice our concerns and and voice our concerns for righteousness or otherwise. So uh, I'm I'm not saying don't vote your conscience, uh, none of that. That's not what this is about. This is just looking at what the Lord is doing behind the scenes. And I wanted to talk today about King Rehoboam because I think he is another example of how the Lord used a leader really against his will and without his permission to carry out plans that the Lord already had. The backstory for Rehoboam was that Solomon had sinned greatly against the Lord. David's son Solomon, when he became king, um, Solomon had actually taken wives that the Lord had commanded that that Israelites not take. Um, Not because there was anything overtly sinful about taking a wife, but that he had taken foreign wives who served other gods. The Lord had commanded the people of Israel to never do that because they were going to be led astray by these foreign gods. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. He took on hundreds of wives, uh, most of them you know, foreign women, 
some of them maybe for love, some of them possibly political alliances and, and things like that. But for whatever the reason he took those wives, it had a devastating consequence of him acquiescing to their demands to set up temples for them to worship their gods in Jerusalem. And he actually, you know, uh, worshiped himself and, and sacrificed to these other gods. So he was led astray by these women to serve their gods. The women wasn't the problem. It was the gods serving the false gods. that was Solomon's downfall. And so God sent a prophet to Solomon and said, because he had done that, the Lord was going to rip the kingdom away from him. He was going to split it in two. But because of his promise to David, he wouldn't do it during Solomon's lifetime. He would wait until Solomon's son. And Solomon's son that came and took his place was King Rehoboam after Solomon's death. And what happened with King Rehoboam was uh, Solomon had, uh, David had built a vast empire. Um, David was the first king to acquire all of the land that God had promised Israel. And Solomon was really the king that got to enjoy the fruits of David's labor of having conquered all of the land that God had promised to Moses. And But to do that, Solomon had to require a lot of work from a lot of people. And so the people, when somewhere along the, the time of Rehoboam's coronation, they come to Rehoboam and they say, your father was very hard on us. It was very difficult for us to uh, do the things that your father wanted. It took a lot of work. And we want to know, are you going to lighten that load? And so Rehoboam says, I tell you what, and this is all found in 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm kind of giving an overview here. Rehoboam tells them, give me three days and I'll come back and I'll give you my answer. And he goes and he talks to the elders of Israel, the people that were Solomon's counselors and and, and the people that understood how politics work and how all these things work. He goes to them and he says, what should I tell them? And they say, you know, tell them to give, just give them a favorable answer. Tell them, yes, I'll make your workload light. I'm not even sure that they were telling Rehoboam, make their workload light. Just tell them, lie to them if you have to, and tell them you're going to make their workload light and they'll love you. They'll be happy with that. But Rehoboam didn't like that answer. And so he goes in uh, to his friends that he grew up with and said, what do I tell them? And they said, oh, you know, you've got to be strict with them. And stern tell them if my and, and this was the the quote um tell them that my that your little finger is thicker than Solomon you know his father's waist um you know basically meaning that if you thought it was hard under my father you're really not going to like it under me now looking back with hindsight anyone with any level of wisdom can see that's the dumbest possible answer that he could give to these people. Anyone would choose the answer that the elders of Israel, the people who had been his father's counselors, anyone would see that the, that's the right answer. Even if he was going to lie to them, at least tell them he's going to make it easy and, and, and they'll believe him, they'll follow him. But Rehoboam didn't choose that answer. He chose the stupid answer. Tell them, I'm going to make it hard on you. That's just dumb. And you would think that the man that was Solomon's son, the one that wrote the Proverbs and all these these works of wisdom, that his son would know better. And Rehoboam probably did know better. But what was at issue here is, is that the Lord was doing something. The Lord had already purposed to establish a man named Jeroboam as king over the, the northern tribes of Israel. He'd already promised it to him. In fact, uh, Solomon knew that the Lord had promised the kingdom to Jeroboam, and so he had to flee to Egypt because Solomon was going to try and kill him. But Jeroboam came back, 
after Rehoboam gave this answer to the people, the people rebelled and they asked for Jeroboam as king. And that split the kingdom in two. That was the fulfillment of this prophecy that God had given during the time of Solomon. So Rehoboam was, even though he was the leader of the nation of Israel, he really became a pawn in this drama that the Lord had established because of Solomon's sin. And and really not even just because of Solomon's sin, but because of the sin that Solomon had led the nation into. You know, maybe if it had been that Solomon alone had sinned and the people had rejected these other gods and these other idols, that, that God would have only rebuked Solomon. But because Israel actually entered into this sin that Solomon had allowed to enter in, uh, the whole nation was split. And so Rehoboam becomes, even though he's the leader, he becomes a pawn in what the Lord is doing. And this is a, another glimpse that we have into how politics really work is, you know, the Lord can, can operate and move in each one of our lives. Um, if, you've, if you've read what I, I write, if you listen to me, I have a hard time taking sides in, in, in what's a very popular debate right now is this Calvinistic Arminian debate. Because God is sovereign, like a Calvinist would say. God does have control over everything that's going on. But there's also very clear biblical principles that we have choice. And how those two things work together, they are mind-numbing and mind-blowing to me. I can't fathom how that works. David says in the Psalms, as he was thinking about that, this, this same thing of how God's sovereignty works with our choices. It blows the mind. So somehow Rehoboam makes this stupid choice, but it's, it's actually the Lord working in the midst of it. And, and how those two things interact, I just, I can't understand, but they're both very real. And that's what we see here. And the, and the Lord can do that in every individual's life. I've seen him do it in my life. And I know that many of you have seen the Lord's sovereign hand work, even in the midst of, of what you knew were your choices. The Lord can do that. But when you're a politician, when you're a leader over God's people, and God's people doesn't mean that you're a leader over Israel or you're a leader over America. If you think that America is God's people, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his creation, the people that he has made. Those are his people, whether or not they recognize him or not. All of God's creation are his people. And so when someone is established and set over God's people, he, he has a, a, a very great vested interest in making sure that, that those people uh, are, are treated the way that, that he has uh, ordained for them to be treated. And so when there's oppression, repression, the Lord moves, the Lord acts on people's behalf against the leadership. Or when the people are sinful, the Lord will move and act and calls those leaders to do things that bring the judgment that, that a, a nation's sin deserve. And uh, I was having a conversation uh, a couple of days ago with someone just about the, the very idea of judgment. And a lot of Americans like to look at America and superimpose the covenants of Israel onto America. And that's a wrong thing to do because the covenants of Israel are the covenants with Israel between God. And they don't belong to America. Um, now, America 
You know, you can look at, at some things that George Washington did and some of our early founding fathers, and I believe that there are some, some definitely parallels between Israel and America. And I think that, that there are some covenants that America made with God, but they're extra-biblical. They're not biblical covenants. They may be based on those, but, uh, but America will answer for those, those founding covenants based on what, what was said. And if you're interested in that, read, read some of the things that George Washington and some of the other founders said invoking the Lord over this nation. Um, they're different than biblical covenants. and uh, So that's another topic for another day. But anyway, um, <clears throat> America is not Israel. But our nation will rise and fall based on the things that the Lord requires from every nation. Uh, there's a certain amount of responsibility and and honor and uh, integrity that the Lord requires of every nation. You can't murder innocent people and have the Lord not come to the defense of those innocents. You can't uh, repress and oppress people, um, whether on your soil or foreign soil, and not have the cries of those people come up before the Lord. Um you know, many nations have risen and fallen, not because of any covenants with Israel, but because of just basic uh, expectations the Lord has of any leadership over any nation. Is There's just certain things you can't do. And when nations cross those lines, the Lord will have their leadership sometimes make some really dumb decisions. You look at, if you're a student of world history, you can look at, at different things throughout history of what some nations have done. And, and it's amazing when you realize the dumb decisions that led to the downfall of different nations. And you think, you know, how could they be so stupid? How could they not see this? And I think it's the same kind of thing with Rehoboam here, is how could Rehoboam not have seen what he was doing and how stupid it was? how absolutely amazingly ignorant what he was doing was. And it was because the Lord was moving. The Lord was the one directing Rehoboam's steps. When we look at politicians in our nation today, we have to ask, is this their doing? Is this them doing something stupid all by themselves? Or is this actually the Lord moving over them and directing their steps and causing them to lead this nation down a path that might just be the Lord's judgment for the sin of a nation. Now, I'm, I'm not going to, to tell you yes or no. You need to come to those conclusions for yourself, but they're questions that need to be asked. And they're questions that most Americans are predisposed not to ask. But biblically, as believers, we have to ask those questions, whether or not you like the, the government that's in place now, whether you want it overthrown with a Republican establishment or, or you like the Democrats or whatever you want in the place of government now. Um, when, when your people, and I say quote unquote your people, who you would want to vote for, we always have to be vigilant as believers and ask, Lord, is what's going on? Is this your will? Are, are you moving against us? Are you moving for us? Are you... Are you in favor of what this nation is doing because of the people or against the people? What's going on, Lord? Those are the questions that we need to be asking. Before we go to the polls, before we vote, before we cast our votes, we need to be asking the Lord, Lord, what are you doing here? Are you going to give us leaders that are going to lead us into righteousness or that are going to lead us further into the depravity that we're descending into? And we need to listen. We need to listen to Lord, the Lord's answer. 
because he might say that I, I, I long to lead you into righteousness. If my people would humble themselves, as in, as in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, believers now, this was a promise to Israel then, but it, it, it is a, a promise that believers can hold on to today. I fully believe that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and repent of their wicked ways. Those are harsh words that, that God's people, the church today, needs to repent of wickedness. That's a word that is not uh, acceptable in most churches is to say that we have acted wickedly as the church. But I believe it's what applies today. God said, if my people will repent of their wicked ways, I will relent from the harm, the judgment I'm going to bring. And I'll heal their land. And I really believe that's the word that America needs to hear today. Is that what we see happening in politics, I believe, is just a reflection of what the Lord is doing behind the scenes. And I fully believe that if the church, God's people, would begin to repent of our wickedness, the things that we've allowed to to take place and the things that we have participated in in this nation, that not just a Christian nation, if that's what you think this is, but any nation, the things that we've participated in that any nation would be judged for, um, I, I really believe if we would repent for that and come before the Lord in humility, that he would heal our land. And the way that I believe we would begin to see that is we would begin to see not necessarily the party or the leaders that we want in place, but that God would give us the leaders that he judges, that he has determined will lead us into that place. That maybe what we deem as the wrong leaders and then they have a, a an encounter with God and they repent and they turn to him and, and at, with all of their might, they, they work to bring the nation to righteousness. So don't have a mindset that if it's not the people that you would vote for, that it couldn't be the Lord working for us. We need to pray and ask the Lord to heal this land and he will give us the people. I guarantee it. If he will heal this land, he will give us the politicians and the leaders to reflect that if we don't come to that place of repentance, then we won't find that place of healing in our politics, our leadership, our government will reflect it. And I think that's a very sobering thing to look at right now in the United States is which way are we going to go? We're, we are really at a valley of decision. We're at a turning point. Will we return to the Lord or will we continue going down the path that we're going? And it has almost nothing to do with those in this nation that don't believe in God. And it has everything to do with the church in this nation. Because the Lord would heal this nation on behalf of the church. So Lord, I ask that you would come. Come and heal this nation. Lord, would you give your church humility to repent of our wickedness, God, because we have every bit of wickedness and sin that goes on in our nation, Father. We bear so much responsibility and we've been involved with, with so much of it. So Lord, I ask that you would heal us, forgive us, turn, relent from judgment, Lord, and, and leave behind a blessing instead of a curse. Heal our land, Lord. Amen.